in 10 years time, every major energy producer is going to have some type of integration with Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. The rest of the world outside of the Bitcoin community and, and us who are, are so deeply involved in that, they're not really going to see that coming. That's why I call it a dark horse. I think people are going to wake up 10 years from now and realize that that integration has happened. Uh, and it's just going to be kind of a huge moment uh, for the world in pushing energy uh, production and policy and the way that we approach our energy assets and, and combine that with our monetary assets uh, for, for future growth that really powers the, you know, the next century of, of innovation. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Blockware Intelligence Podcast. This week I have on Trey Sellers from Unchained Capital. Trey, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me back. Excited to be here. I'm pumped. Yeah. I'm, I'm bullish right now. Feeling really I like good. It. I like, like to hear it. Uh, let's jump right into it. I know it was like a week or two ago, Charlie Munger wrote um, this op-ed in the Wall Street Journal about how the U.S. should ban... He just said crypto broadly, but I think he included Bitcoin in that category. What are your thoughts on Charlie Munger's op-ed yeah. that he wrote? He uh, he included Bitcoin and crypto, as most people who haven't done the work do. Um, and he described crypto pretty accurately, right? It is a bunch of scams and Ponzi's uh, and should be avoided at all costs, in my opinion. But, um, you know, China has tried to ban Bitcoin like 14 times and... It hasn't really worked out for them. Uh, and that's because of the incentive structure and the way that the system operates and functions. Uh, I don't think that the US would have much more success than China did over a long period of time, although that would cause quite a bit of, of consternation. Um, but you know, the the evidence of this actually happening is, is pretty few and far between. Um, we've got a lot of congressmen, um, governors, you know, people involved in the system and, and the that elite group of people, so to speak, who are actually supportive of Bitcoin. And they're doing a lot of work to push it forward uh, alongside Bitcoiners like you and me who are talking to these people and, and really helping them to understand the value that it brings. Um, we're seeing it bring value to the energy markets and people are starting to realize that um, Bitcoin mining is, is such a perfect example of this synergy between the fiat world and the way that our energy systems work the way that our fiat monetary system works uh, and Bitcoin and, and how Bitcoin can be integrated into that. So I think we're going to see a lot more than that. Um, and and uh, it, it's going to receive much more adoption than uh, Mr. Munger would like to see. Uh, but, you know, he won't be around for too much longer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of sad to see him suggest that the U.S. should follow the same path as like communist China. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, you know, these, these types of people who have kind of been entrenched in the fiat world for so long, they start to see things similarly to the communist point of view, uh, because that's about top-down control and big regulation and all that. Bitcoin represents an antithesis to that, so I'm not surprised that he feels a little bit threatened uh, in that regard. But again, it's not something that he can actually stop. Uh, or anybody can stop. It's going to continue to be adopted. People are going to con continue to find value in the fact that uh, it's perfectly scarce, uh, the fact that they can zip it around the world instantaneously and, and for virtually free. Uh, and, you know, as more and more people adopt it, it's going to be harder and harder 
for that trend to reverse and for people like Munger to be able to successfully lobby um, governments around the world to, to ban it. Uh, and the more that those activities are tried and Bitcoin continues to come out the other side, uh, just more strong than, than it was before those bans, um, then you know people start to wake up to the realization that this thing is here to stay and they probably should should pick up a little bit just in case it continues to catch on. Yeah, and I also think that like since this piece came out, which like I said, it was at least a week ago, it was maybe two weeks ago. I mean, nothing that never really picked up any sort of traction or steam. I mean, the SEC, I guess, is cracking down on like crypto broadly, but as far as like regulatory actions against Bitcoin itself, I feel like there's been basically nothing. Um, I, I think there's a decent understanding at the SEC, especially with um, with Chair Gensler. Uh, about the difference between Bitcoin and crypto. And it's, it's that divide is becoming more stark when things like FTX happen and, and these crypto uh, systems blow up in, in everybody's faces. So, you know, it becomes harder and harder to deny that Bitcoin is the signal and crypto is noise and scams and frauds. And, uh, at, you know, if we're being generous, it's just infeasible, unworkable in any serious way to, to actually gain broad adoption. And so as people realize that it, it makes a stronger case for Bitcoin to be adopted uh, and Bitcoin just keeps chugging along um, despite all this other craziness that's been happening in the market. Um, it was fairly recently we had um, uh, SEC Commissioner uh, Hester Peirce here in Atlanta for a conversation about how the SEC views views Bitcoin and crypto more generally speaking. Um, and so, you know, she seems to have a very good understanding of what's going on here and, and has a very measured view of how the SEC at least should be approaching these types of topics. Uh, so it's gonna be interesting to see how things develop, but um, I'm optimistic that the right decisions are gonna be made. There may be a little bit of friction and, and headwinds there, uh, but, you know, it's our job to continue to educate people. And uh, as as Corey at Swan says, we, we, we got to uh, win the race before the, the war happens. Right. So uh, I think that's a really good perspective. And, and we just got to keep moving forward. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, seeing Hester Pierce in Atlanta talk about Bitcoin and crypto broadly was, was fantastic. If anyone's watching this in Atlanta, you need to come out to more uh, Bitcoin focused events for sure. I yeah, do want to shout, dive out, shout out to the Atlanta Bitcoin community. Um, it's been growing. Uh, got a lot of really, really great people, talented people, developers, um, you know, from a technical side of things, from the monetary side, and just clubs getting together and, and enjoying talking about Bitcoin and learning about it. Um, definitely, if you're rolling through Atlanta, uh, come see me. Come see, come see the Atlanta Bitcoin community. Yeah, absolutely. Come reach out to me or Trey if you're in Atlanta. We'll love to talk about Bitcoin. Um, I do want to dive into something that you put out recently about the FIRE community and Bitcoin. Can you maybe explain, like, what is the FIRE community for those that aren't familiar? And then how, do, how does, I guess, their view of the world potentially tie directly into Bitcoin? Yeah, um, I came to um, Bitcoin already being a FIRE practitioner. Um, FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. Uh, and it's a perspective or a strategy around playing with the uh, the fiat financial system 
in such a way that you are using it to your advantage so that you can stop working early in life or at least gain that financial independence that we all seek so that you can do the things that you love and you're not stuck at a job. Um, I, I immediately took to this and really the, the main strategy here is that you're going to be living within your means, you're going to be frugal, you're going to be stay hum staying humble and stacking stocks. You're going to be buying uh, the stock market index as in as much size as you can in an effort to outpace the debasement of your fiat currency. Now, the FIRE community doesn't really understand that um, in, any, in any cognizant way. They intuitively understand that, which is why they advocate for this type of saving. Um, I recently had a, a post on Twitter just saying that if you're buying VTSAX or VTI, these like very broad-based index ETFs or, or mutual funds, you're not actually investing. Uh, and, and the FIRE community will talk about how you want to save and invest your money so that you can retire early. But you're not investing when you buy those things. You're not looking at PE ratios. You're not looking at companies' balance sheets. You're not looking at return on equity or, or making some type of speculation onto the growth prospects of a particular company or, or investment vehicle. You're buying the economy in the US when you buy that thing. Uh, and that's exactly what Bitcoiners do when we are saving in Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is a savings technology. It's the best savings technology that the world has ever seen. And because of the way that we approach that, which is staying humble and stacking sats, there's a really good synergy between Bitcoin and FIRE um, that the FIRE community just doesn't quite understand yet. So I had this post um, that I put on my personal website, got cross-posted uh, on the Unchained website, but uh, it's outlining exactly that. What are these truths that the FIRE community intuitively understands, but they haven't quite figured that out yet that make Bitcoin such a great vehicle for a portfolio that they would be using to retire early. Uh, so I'm trying to make that point, trying to make some inroads there. Uh, I think it's going to be successful, but it might take a little bit of time. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a super interesting perspective and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've talked about that, uh, at least like Bitcoin kind of being this productivity, global productivity index fund with Eric Yates, uh, Alan Farrington, and, and uh, the new guy, Luke Broyles, uh, all have similar thoughts. And to me, it makes a lot of sense. It's just kind of crazy that so few people, I guess, have grasped that Bitcoin is potentially this weird roundabout way to create this global productivity index fund. As in when Bitcoin becomes global money, it's representative of the entire global economy and the rate at which it's growing. So it's the same perspective that somebody who's buying uh, the, these total stock market index funds is taking by saying, I, I, I'm not gonna make any particular investment. I want to save my money and get exposure to the growth of the economy. That's what buying hard money gets you. That's what Bitcoin gets you. It's just, it's perfectly designed for that because there will only ever be 21 million of them. So you don't have this extra noise introduced into the system from the fact that uh, the dollars that you're measuring your BTSAX in are constantly increasing in value with these various bouts of crazy deflation that we see from time to time as well. Yeah, totally. One thing that I think is interesting that Luke Broyles uh, mentioned that I've never quite heard it put this way he said that like okay if we're right about that which i think we are 
then maybe other assets can be viewed as kind of like a hedge against Bitcoin failing, which I was like, okay, that actually makes sense because I mean, I personally, I'm not a hundred percent like into Bitcoin. Like I do hold some dollars. I do actually hold like 401k, right? I'm not hundred percent. <laughs> I'm not a hundred. I know I'll probably regret it. Um, but you know, I, it's kind of you go into that knowing that all of those other things will lose value versus Bitcoin over the long term. But you do have to have some type of allocation to dollars so that you can spin those things into the economy. We're not exactly. quite there yet where Bitcoin is, is accepted widely. Um, but I think that's coming over the next five years or so. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I guess you said it well. I mean, I think of it as kind of like a hedge against Bitcoin failing, which I don't think will happen. But it's kind of like that's why you would hold those assets today or you just simply don't understand Bitcoin. So you're like, all right, let's hold a passive index. Well, most people have a huge chunk of their net worth in their home. uh, And those home prices are vastly inflated just by the fact that we have such terrible money that the money is broken. Um, And so, you know, as Bitcoin takes over as global money and, and more and more people start using it in that way, the value of home prices is going to return to its utility value, uh, which is actually depreciating over time. Your your house doesn't get more valuable uh, on its own just from the fact that it exists. It actually depreciates. It needs maintenance work. Uh, it gets older. And so, you know, there, there are certainly some exceptions based on location and more people moving in. Those are extraneous features, but just holding all of those other things equal, there's no reason that your house should go up in value over time. It should actually drop in value as that depreciation, that natural um, maintenance, uh, you know, entropy takes place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's dive into uh, FD, kind of like FTX, BlockFi, and Celsius, that kind of fiasco that happened all throughout 2022. How is that now that we've you know taken a few months for that to play out? How has that affected Unchained's business? Um, when we see these types of events, we get a flood of people coming to us, and it really validates the model that we have. It validates our business model. It validates our approach to uh, self custody in Bitcoin. It validates our approach to the way that we do loans, where uh, we're not engaging in any kind of rehypothecation. And actually, our clients are able to hold a key alongside of us so that they can cryptographically verify that that Bitcoin is just sitting there as as collateral for that loan. Um, We take a very low time preference view and a very long term view of the way that we approach our business. And when you see these high time preference uh, shops like an FTX, like a Celsius, like a BlockFi, when they blow up, people come to the realization that they've been thinking about things the wrong way, or they haven't been thinking about them deeply enough. And in this case, you must be holding your own keys. People realize that very quickly when their accounts are frozen and their withdrawals are limited. Um, and people must be doing that in a way that doesn't have any kind of single point of failure. So that's where we come in and, and provide some solutions around that. But, um, you know, as people start to realize this, as it becomes easier for people to understand that they should be holding their own Bitcoin and that it's actually doable and that there are people like uh, the people at Unchained there to support them as part of that process, you know, we get a really uh, a good bump of, of people coming in and, and wanting to do that. Uh, and that feeds on itself, right? You tell your friends, hey, I've got uh, this Bitcoin. I feel really good about it being held in my own custody where I can't just make one mistake and lose it. Uh, and 
um, you should go check out what Unchained is doing as well. Uh, so we, we receive a lot of, of good people coming to us when these things blow up, and then that feeds on itself with uh, new people telling their friends that they should be doing the same thing. Yeah, completely. I mean, I've personally onboarded people to self-custody uh, recently, like just friends that live in my apartment complex. So yeah, I mean, right. I think it's, I think all of those kind of collapses and fiascos have just revealed the importance and the value of being able to hold your own private keys. I think it's, it's, it's really important from an individual perspective that you're, that you're holding your own keys. Uh, it's a security first principle when you come to the realization that you're in a much more secure place by holding your own keys than trusting somebody else, even if there's a learning curve there, you, uh, you'll want to take that next step. And so there, there is a process of, of realizing that from Bitcoin's perspective, I'm a, a very firm believer that we need self-custody widespread in order for Bitcoin to be successful in what we're setting out to do. If all of the Bitcoin is just held in centralized um, third parties like on Coinbase or something like that, it's going to be very easy to manipulate the circulating supply of Bitcoin IOUs. It's going to be much easier for uh, the state and Charlie Munger to come in and try to influence the way that the protocol is working because all that economic value is just trapped in these centralized institutions that are easily controlled. Uh, so we need to avoid that. And the way that we avoid that is by encouraging people to hold their own keys um, and teaching them how to do so and building the tools that make it easy for them. Yeah, I, I, uh, maybe a month or so ago, I talked to this guy, like Jimbo Coin on, on the podcast, and he had a unique perspective. He was saying that because of the ability to hold your own private keys, he was saying Bitcoin is kind of the only asset that you can truly own. And I was like, that's a very interesting way to put it, right? Like if you have stocks, you're not actually holding the stock certificate. And if you, even if you are, like you're still like trusting that company to like produce a lot of future cash flows. Same with bonds, whether that's a company or a country. And then like real estate, you're still like trusting a title that, you know, that the local government will enforce and the police will show up if someone like happens to say, hey, this is actually my property. So it's just kind of interesting. It's like, there's, a, there's like a, I guess a sigh of relief when you actually take self custody of your Bitcoin. You're like, wow, like how did I live my life before holding Bitcoin? Like it's kind of scary thinking about being, I don't know, 50, 60 years old and like having all of my wealth not in assets that I really can control. Yeah, it's, it's revolutionary. Bitcoin is the only asset that you can truly own, as you said, in a way that has no counterparty risk to anybody. You don't have to worry about your local bureaucrats uh, coming up with some ordinance that immediately tanks your real estate value. Uh, it's extremely liquid and you can, you know, spend it into the economy or sell it uh, at any given time. Uh, it's, it's, it's really the best possible scenario for holding wealth that you need to have in liquid form. And, uh, you know, by by holding your own keys, you really get the value of doing that. Not to mention, right, if you're using uh, Noster, which I've been playing around with, you, you can't do that if you're trusting other people with your Bitcoin, um, just zap people sats. Um, there's a whole lot of benefits that you get from embracing Bitcoin as it's meant to be embraced, which is through self-custody, through holding your own private keys, that you're not going to get if you relegate that responsibility uh, or delegate that responsibility to a third party. Absolutely. Let's dive into a little bit further into this idea of holding your own private keys. When we, I talked to Sailor on this podcast, he was 
kind of adamantly against MicroStrategy holding their own private keys. They use a trusted custodian. Do you think there's a, a future of you know where public com- companies actually do hold their own private keys? And like, if so, like, how do you think that could play out? Yeah, I think so. I think there's a range uh, of how this will play out. Um, some public companies are going to really embrace this, and I think this happens over time. Um, I actually asked uh, SEC Commissioner Hester Pierce in that Atlanta event, um, what is the SEC's view there? And her response was that, you know, they are focused on making sure that the financial reporting and accounting um, requirements are followed and that essentially there's visibility into how companies are managing their finances uh, and their their disclosures. And, um, And then how are they disclosing the risk to investors for those public companies. And part of that risk is how is that Bitcoin being secured? Um, I believe there's gonna be an evolution of the market to start to understand that trusting a single counterparty with your Bitcoin, even for a public company, is not a great idea. And Bitcoin allows for a, uh, a new way of holding it than uh, other assets are, are able to do. For instance, you can use multi, uh, multi-sig um, with multiple institutions, even if it's not that one public company, um, this multi-institutional key structure where instead of trusting a single counterparty with that Bitcoin, you can trust three different legal entities, three different institutions uh, with three keys and can work through legal arrangements into how those keys are managed and how the the Bitcoin that's in that treasury is able to be spent. And so by doing that, you're you're distributing the risk of uh, managing that Bitcoin away from a single counterparty where you have that counterparty risk and into three different institutions. So um, I think there's gonna be a range, as, as I said before, of how people approach this. Some companies are gonna take it upon themselves to just understand and know how to do this themselves and they they see value there and others are going to go the opposite end of that spectrum and trust a single counterparty and then there's going to be a a series of other um, ways that companies public or private are going to be holding these large amounts of bitcoin and we work with with companies all the time who want to do just that they're the founders and the principals understand the importance of holding their own keys uh, and they just need the right tools and the right support infrastructure, which is what we provide to make that process easy uh, and to give them the tools that they need to implement a governance structure that works uh, within the uh, organizational constraints and needs that they've got. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like there's kind of uh, as far as like the corporations and I guess governments holding Bitcoin, it's like there's kind of a spectrum of for the individual, it's really easy to take self-custody and like hold, you know, private keys, whether it's multi-sig or just single-sig. But then once you get into these very massive, large organizations where there's not necessarily a clear leader, it's just kind of a, a body of different people that make up one big organization, whether it's MicroStrategy or the U.S. government or Google or whatever or Apple. Um, it's kind of like those are less inclined to maybe take self-custody. Do you think like as Bitcoin progresses and becomes more important in the world, do you think Bitcoin as a technology will prevent power from like centralizing into large governments or large corporations? Um, 
Prevent is a strong word. I would say, no, it doesn't prevent it, but it does provide uh, an incentive for people to say, stay small. It, it provides a constraint on how big uh, organizations can get, I think. Um, you know, the costs of being a bigger government cannot be externalized to the rest of the population uh, who may or may not be actually consenting to paying for some of these things if the money is sound. If we're on a Bitcoin standard, you can't just inflate away the supply of that and uh, benefit from seniorage in your, you know, uh, away from the population and the value that is created in the economy. You have to directly tax people and that's much harder to do. So that's on the, on the government side. But the same thing goes for corporations. In the fiat world, big corporations enjoy the best credit ratings and we live in a credit-based fiat standard. And so they have direct access to some of the best financing terms for their operations uh, on the planet relative to somebody else who does not enjoy that same credit status. And that allows them to finance growth in a way that is not necessarily natural uh, and especially not in a Bitcoin standard. So, uh, you know, all of these massive corporations, um, they're going to have to grow a little bit more organically if they want to get to that size, as opposed to front loading, front loading a bunch of uh, investment that is fueled by cheap credit. That's not necessarily going to be available in a Bitcoin world. Yeah, I almost see it as like a kind of a pretty negative feedback loop that exists without Bitcoin, where kind of like what we were talking about earlier with people just saving by putting their money into SPY or the largest companies in the United States. And it's kind of like, okay, as more people save, they give more purchasing power or potential value to those companies where they can now issue more shares or they could you know, b borrow more money through debt. Um, and that kind of like is a massive feedback loop where those companies get the cheapest cost of capital in the world because that's the only way for, or at least before Bitcoin, it was the only way for people to actually save for the future. And so like with Bitcoin, it kind of takes, you know, one step out of that feedback loop and forces, or not forces, but encourages people like, hey, you don't actually have to like keep funding these large entities, whether it's your treasury bills or whether it's uh, the SPY or, or what, any sort of passive index fund, you can yeah. just fund Bitcoin. That, that's right. You can just save in money and that money grows in value over time. Um, at this stage in the game, it will grow very quickly, but on a Bitcoin standard, you would expect the value of that money to grow at the rate of uh, a growth for the, the global economy. And to your point, if you are not investing that money or buying stocks, saving in stocks, um, you are keeping that capital away from those larger companies, which does disincentivize them from growing quite as much. Um, some people, I think, worry that this type of hard money standard is going to limit growth uh, for the economy. And I think that's that may be true, maybe not. I think we just get a different type of growth. We get organic, slow compounding growth as opposed to debt-fueled, um, very quick growth that results in a lot of capital misallocation that eventually comes home to roost. Yeah, I mean, I think thinking about the future of a Bitcoin standard as far as like how it works from like a debt and equity perspective is, is fascinating, but um, that's probably like a whole nother discussion, um, but it's super we'll, interesting. We'll do that another time. Yeah, definitely. 
Foundation is one of my favorite Bitcoin companies. Their product, Passport, is one of the best Bitcoin hardware wallets on the market. It is air-gapped and highly secure. I strongly encourage you to go to foundationdevices.com and use the code BLOCKWARE and get $10 off your Passport. It's a great way to easily and securely store the private keys to your Bitcoin. Um, what are your thoughts on a separate topic here, but what are your thoughts on Ray Dalio's uh, somewhat recent comments as well, suggesting that Bitcoin is just this tiny thing, it's not effective as money, it's not a store of value, and it's not a medium of exchange. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, Ray has not done the work, just like uh, our friend Mr. Munger. Um, that's really clear. He mentioned something about an inflation-linked token or something. I mean, talk about somebody who, you know, uh, it could only make that type of perspective if you haven't actually done the work on Bitcoin and, and really truly understand what problem it solves. Bitcoin fixes inflation. Um, it is the antithesis of inflation. It cannot be inflated. Um, inflation doesn't exist on a Bitcoin standard in the way that we think about it today, right? We think about prices going up across the economy in a, a general way because the money is broken. But if the money is not broken, then any increase in prices on in, in one part of the economy must be counteracted by decreased prices in other parts of the economy uh, because you're using 21 million as the uh, end all be all in terms of your unit of account. Um, now that doesn't mean that there's not a little bit of credit in the economy that allows for um, you know, some bubbles here in, in small amounts, but you don't have this general inflation problem that you need to keep up with. You can just hold your value in money. So Bitcoin addresses inflation. It fixes that problem. And Ray's comment that we just need this inflation-linked currency or inflation-linked token, that's really what would solve this problem. It's just, it's just not thinking about it from the right way. Um, Assuming that that was the problem, then you have to solve, well, who's going to control what that inflation rate actually is and who's going to manage the supply of that token? And you're back to exactly where we are now with a group of 12 people sitting in a room talking about, you know, what rate short term rates should be trading at uh, and trying to influence the market with with their rhetoric um, that that doesn't work. It's it's exactly driving the issues that we're seeing today. Uh, and so we just need to move completely away from that train of thought. Uh, and I think once Ray starts to make those connections, he's going to uh, allocate to Bitcoin in size. He's, he, you know, him and, and a lot of these people control a huge amount of capital. And when they start to make these connections, um, well, let's just say that the door is very, very small to fit all of that capital. Um, so, you know, going back to your original question, Bitcoin is tiny. It's very, very tiny compared to the pool of capital that is out there, compared to bonds, compared to equities, compared to um, you know debt in the world. And Bitcoin is going to suck all of that value out of those other assets. Uh, and it, it's like you know trying to fit the ocean through a garden hose. Um, the only way that that works is if that hose gets much, much bigger. Um, so you know I, I really do see Bitcoin as like this black hole of capital, um, of, uh, capital allocation sucking away from these other like near money store value assets like real estate and stocks and gold, 
um, that that people are using to save money in, but that are less than ideal relative to Bitcoin for that purpose. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the way I kind of think about it is, like you said, there's this pile of capital that's needs to accumulate Bitcoin, but they don't know that they're they don't know about Bitcoin or they don't fully understand it. And the only way that that's going to ever happen is the price of Bitcoin is going to expand rapidly. Um, yeah, so, yeah. I, and I, I should I should touch on the the medium of exchange unit of account stuff as well because it's just again like that's spoken like somebody who has never. Uh, sent a Bitcoin transaction or received Bitcoin into their own wallet or used a Lightning wallet to send money across the world instantaneously and for free. Uh, Bitcoin works very, very well at any scale for payments, for medium of exchange. And that infrastructure is being built out every single day. We've made huge, huge improvements in that, and that's only going to continue. And I think, you know, if you're starting a business five years from now, the first thing you should be thinking about when you're thinking about how are people going to pay me, uh, the most lightweight thing you can do is to just build Bitcoin point of sale into your business. You don't have to go down to the bank and wait there all day while they open your bank account and get approvals and do all this stuff. Um, that's really frictionful and burdensome. Day one, you set up Bitcoin to receive his payment. And then you can deal with that other fiat side of things, uh, which takes a lot longer and has a lot more work to, to be involved in, in getting set up. You can do that secondary, um, and especially if you've got an online business. Why would you ever go through the, the trouble if more and more people are holding Bitcoin? Why would you ever go through the trouble of setting up a fiat bank account if you could just set up um, you know, BTC Pay server and just receive Bitcoin streaming from across the globe instantaneously and directly into your own keys. Uh, it's a thing of beauty. He hasn't experienced that yet. He hasn't gone down that rabbit hole. He hasn't done the work, as I said. And so he doesn't know how to, uh, how to really process that. Um, but, you know, that new, newer people are coming into this world who are perfectly comfortable with playing around with this stuff and, and, and getting a taste of what it feels like to send and receive Bitcoin. And once you do that, you don't go back. You can't unsee that. You can't unring that bell. Yeah, I mean, Bitcoin as a medium of exchange is interesting to me. I mean, I feel like the Lightning Network throughout this bear market has been something that's gained like organic traction, you know, despite the price of Bitcoin going down. Like I see the charts of Lightning capacity constantly going up and people are like actually using Lightning. And unlike pretty much every other altcoin, there's not really, there's not... Arguably, I guess you could say you earn like routing uh, fees and like maybe yield that way, but I don't think many people are actually doing that. I think it's just like organically growing as this payments network and people are experimenting with it. Whereas every altcoin, it's like if it's growing, it's probably like some weird financial incentive that's completely unsustainable. So, yeah, I mean, I think I'm bullish on the medium of exchange and lightning side of things. What are your thoughts on, on lightning in particular? Uh, Lightning is amazing and only getting better all the time. Um, as I said, I've been playing around with Noster. Uh, I see a post I like and I hit a button and I send somebody 10 sats, which is like a tenth of a penny or something. And it's instant and it goes directly to their wallet. Um, you can't do that with anything else that is out there. If Twitter uh, and Elon uh, ha- had implemented Lightning tipping on, you know, on that platform, 
uh, there would not be this nearly as much of an incentive to build that in an open source way. Still think, um, you know, Noster solves a lot of other problems beyond that. But Twitter, uh, just for this particular use case, is missing out on a huge opportunity to um, get a lot more engagement from from their their um, their users. And so, you know, it only takes one only takes one platform that is already well adopted to actually realize this and lean into lightning uh, and all of the the great um, benefits that you get from being able to just zip sats around the world instantaneously. Yeah, do you think like, it's gonna be interesting to see uh, if like large conglomerates or like stores start offering lightning payments. Like I could potentially see a scenario where you know, Walmart, I don't know, maybe has to pay like 1% for every credit card transaction they charge, or maybe more, maybe like 2%. I could see a potential scenario where they're like, okay, if you pay with Bitcoin Lightning, it's instant settlement, there's no chargebacks, we don't have to pay that fee, maybe you'll get half a percent off or 1% off when you check out with Bitcoin Lightning. Do you see a scenario like that, or is that just kind of wishful thinking? Um, I mean, it makes all the sense in the world to me. I don't know why you wouldn't be thinking about those types of, of competitive advantages that you could uh, that you could implement into your organization. Um, now, there there are some like legal and accounting and regulatory challenges to doing that. Um, and for somebody like a Walmart to implement Bitcoin into their point of sale, that is a big infrastructural investment and the fact of the matter is right now very few people actually own bitcoin that they would be spending so there's a bit of a chicken and egg problem there um, as we build out these tools and make it much uh, easier and get bitcoin into the hands of more people they start to get more used to it now all of a sudden people have sats that they can spend and when they do have sats that they can spend and they want to spend, then businesses are going to be much more incentivized to actually implement that. So I think that's going to happen. It's just going to happen a little bit more slowly than we would like uh, up until the next bull market hits. That At that point, I feel like we've got all the tools in place that we need to really accelerate Bitcoin adoption from a payments perspective. The tools are out there. Lightning didn't exist as we were, I mean, not in its current form and with the infrastructure that we've got to support the type of payments that are going on. Um, it, it, it was not there as we were heading into this last cycle. And since then it's exploded uh, and the tools are so much better. And so as we head into the next cycle, as we get into this um, next era of a swath of new people coming into Bitcoin, those tools are already built and they're available for people to take advantage of. Uh, I think that's going to make things a lot easier for people to just see and experience that medium of exchange uh, value prop that Bitcoin provides. And again, once you see that, you, you can't unsee it. And so it becomes very easy for people to just persist using that even after the next bull market ends and we start going into whatever correction um, might happen in, in, in the market. Yeah. I think you made a really interesting point about how it would be difficult for Walmart to just accept lightning payments with like regulatory issues and like even accounting issues. I mean, we're kind of working on uh, so, some cool software at Blockware and, and trying to integrate like Bitcoin payments and lightning payments just into our existing accounting 
Olympic systems as a you know a relatively small company, it's like still pretty difficult for just us, and we can pretty much do anything you know reasonably that we want. Can't imagine you know a hundred thousand plus organization attempting to make a change that drastic. It would be difficult. But as you said, like as the tools get built out and like the systems integrate nicely, then it's just going to be a no brainer. Yeah, it's it's not just a matter of getting the point of sale for accepting Lightning into Walmart stores. You also have to have uh, an accounting infrastructure in your corporate environment to be able to handle that. You've got to integrate those payments to your general ledger and be able to account for it properly and and um, deal with all of the extra uh you know, translation problems, and maybe you need to be hedging that risk. So now there's a capital markets component to, to doing all that. So, you know, we, we are in this transition world. It is going to take a little bit of time, but, um, you know, that's where the bull market is very helpful in that it gets people really excited about this. And, um, and, and that's why it's also so important that we're building during the bear markets so that these tools are available to people to take advantage of when that euphoria hits again. Uh, and again, we're, we're going to get to a place where uh, there's a tipping point and where, you know, the ratchet effect gets to a place where you, you're not going backwards. The, this, the, the waxing and waning of adoption is not going to be as severe on the downside. Uh, you're just going to get huge waves of adoption on the upside and then it just sticks, right? Imagine if Venmo um, actually introduces some compatibility with Lightning Network, similar to the way the Cash App has done. Now, all of a sudden, Cash App has the ability to pay all of Venmo's users, and Venmo has the ability to pay all of Cash App's users, and anybody else just using some kind of um, you know standard Lightning Network that's uh, a Lightning wallet that's on there on their mobile platform. It only takes one of those types of integrations to blow the door open in terms of adoption for Bitcoin as a medium of exchange uh, and the rest will follow suit, right? Because PayPal is not gonna look at Venmo um, or you know any of these other things. You've got like the banks that facilitate payments through Zelle. You're not gonna see that type of success from a payment stand, uh, standpoint from your competitor and then not react and just say, okay, we'll let them take that market. There's, there's just no possible way. So it, it only takes one uh, and that inflection point happens. And at that point, anytime you're going out for beers with your, your buddies and people are paying each other peer to peer, um, you know, you can receive Bitcoin, you can send Bitcoin, they can receive dollars, you can, you know, send dollars, however you want to coordinate those, those inter-friend transactions can happen. Uh, and it's all seamless and nobody's the wiser. You're just scanning QR codes and sending Bitcoin across the world to settle these transactions peer to peer. Uh, it's pretty incredible. And, and as I said, like it's gonna happen, I think quicker than most people realize, but we have to be patient and we have to continue to build those tools to make it possible. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the futures here. It's just not evenly distributed yet. Whoever uh, yeah. said that quote, but it basically <laughs> is. It's just a kind of a matter of time until uh, you know the world recognizes this technology like exists. It's very valuable. And it works. You just got to integrate it within your existing systems to to really make it work for you. Yeah, um, absolutely, totally. Um, so I do want to talk about a little bit about mining. Um, you know, Blockware obviously is, is a mining company you know, work with some of the largest public Bitcoin miners in the world, also work with a lot of private Bitcoin miners and even individuals that, you know, just want to get exposure to the Bitcoin mining industry. How does Unchained Capital help mining clients? 
Uh, well, mining, I think, is is one of the biggest dark horses uh, for Bitcoin in terms of its adoption. Uh, so I'll start there by just saying that I think in 10 years time, every major energy producer is going to have some type of integration with Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. Um, the incentives are just too strong for miners and energy producers to shake hands and figure out a way to integrate their operations. I, I think there'll be a mix, right? Some will be vertically integrated, some will buy miners, some will um, just do some partnership type of thing. It'll be interesting to see how all of that plays out. Um, but um, the rest of the world outside of the Bitcoin community and, and us who are, are so deeply involved in that, they're not really going to see that coming. That's why I call it a dark horse. I think people are going to wake up 10 years from now and realize that that integration has happened. Uh, and it's just going to be kind of a huge moment uh, for the world in pushing energy uh, production and policy and the way that we approach our energy assets and, and combine that with our monetary assets uh, for for future growth that really powers the, you know, the next century of, of innovation. Um, in terms of how Unchained helps mining clients, um, we, we help a lot of businesses, generally speaking, and miners have very special needs. Um, they're receiving their revenue in Bitcoin. Uh, a lot of times they have to sell Bitcoin. Uh, they have different needs in terms of UTXO management. Um, they sometimes need to access loans so that they can expand their, their infrastructure. And so we take a very, um, um, you know, purpose built view on helping miners to manage their treasury, um, manage their Bitcoin payments. Sometimes they need to pay, uh, large amounts of their LPs who are investing in those projects. And so, you know, we want to be building the tools that make it easy for them to manage that treasury and, and, um, manage their, their Bitcoin wealth alongside their fiat wealth as they're growing their businesses. Um, we, we work with a ton of mining clients, whether they're small, whether they're big shops. Um, and you'd be surprised to hear probably that, you know, there are some miners out there who, until they come to us, they, they're got, you know, 10, 12 Bitcoin coming in every single day to like a single treasure. And there's one guy who's got the keys to the kingdom for that Bitcoin treasury. Uh, and that's not a really viable way to operate a, a large business. And so what we do is help them think through those governance questions uh, and help them distribute uh, the, the key control across their Bitcoin treasury uh, with multiple people so that they can uh, have much better oversight and control function over how that Bitcoin is managed and those payments are going out and, and all of that. Um, so, you know, we are open for business when it comes to helping miners. Uh, we have a lot of experience there and we're going to continue to build tools that help miners uh, run their businesses in the, the best way possible on the Bitcoin standard, as well as um, helping them deal with the, the translation between fiat and Bitcoin. Nice. Yeah, I fully agree that mining is this kind of this dark horse for Bitcoin into like civilization and the society itself. I mean, I feel like as you are, like I'm extremely bullish on the price of Bitcoin and as the price of Bitcoin, you know, potentially reaches maybe like a gold equivalent, you know, in the next five years or so, or even the next 10 years to be conservative, um, the mining industry is going to explode at like a massive rate because that's a lot of 
I guess, energy infrastructure that needs to be built out. It's a lot of ASICs that's, that are going to need to be plugged in. It's a lot of pods that are going to be uh, distributed and, and set up next to oil, solar, wind, whatever, nuclear, whatever. And it's just going to be very interesting to see, watch that play out over the next few years. So, yeah, it's good to hear that Unchain is helping miners secure the, the Bitcoin that they're mining. I think that's fantastic. It's, um, it's going to be really interesting to see how um, mining potentially gets built into like everyday life of, uh, you know, random retail consumers. You know, people talk about um, heating their water heater um, with a Bitcoin miner so that you are still pulling like a similar amount of energy, um, but you're actually getting some sats for that. Uh, that those are really cool applications. I, I love thinking about that. Um, so it'll be, it'd be very interesting to see how things play out in that regard. Yeah, completely. I mean, I think I've seen like, as far as like the heating side of things, like you can buy an old S9 for like 50 bucks at this point, And that machine makes about a dollar a day, like in revenue or, or a little bit less than a dollar per day. And like, as long as you run it for 50 days, you get your money back for, for plugging it in. If you're going to just use the heat to begin with. So it's kind of like a good, if you're using the heat. Yeah. 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 Um, I have an S9 that I bought for quite a bit more than, than $50 <laughs> and I unplugged it a while back because it was just kind of burning money. But I also wasn't using that, that waste heat to mm -hmm. uh, do anything in my home. Uh, so maybe I'll, I'll think about replugging that in if I can yeah. figure out a way to use that, to harness that heat. When it gets cold again, you'll have to plug it back in. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> kind, of, kind of running out of time this year, though. Um, what's what's like next on deck for on chain? I know you guys are working on some cool things. Anything you can share with the audience? Yeah. Um, so we are doubling down on our approach to Bitcoin, collaborative and financial services that we offer. Uh, as we mentioned before, when we're talking about FTX and Celsius and BlockFi and all these um, crypto things blowing up um, that really validated our business model. And so we're going to lean into that uh, and make sure that we are building for that future where the vast majority of people out there are holding their own Bitcoin keys and they're going to need that collaborative custody partner to develop that, those really great tools, as well as the, um, you know, the, the support infrastructure that can get them to a place where they're really comfortable and confident in the way that that things are happening, that they can pass their Bitcoin down for future generations. Bitcoin's a multi-generational asset. And so you need to have these things in place that will allow for that Bitcoin to securely be passed down to your heirs when, whenever you pass. And so we help people with doing that. Um, and then I think there's a need uh, for us to help widen the bridge between the fiat world and the Bitcoin world. The vast majority of our, our clients are not 100% allocated to Bitcoin. They, they have plenty of fiat assets that will eventually need to move into Bitcoin over time. Uh, and there's some transition time where we need to be helping our clients manage both their, their fiat assets in relation to their Bitcoin assets. And so we'll be building out uh, a lot in the next you know, year or so that is focused on the fiat side uh, of our, our clients' wealth as a, um, you know, in addition to that Bitcoin that they are securing uh, and, and really being a one-stop shop for everything they need when it comes to Bitcoin, uh, but then also helping to, um, you know, really get the most out of that Bitcoin through these other fiat-related financial services. Uh, so that's, that's really where we're headed. Yeah, totally. Last question, and then uh, we'll wrap it up. Yeah. I want to get your thoughts on, like, big picture Bitcoin, like hyper Bitcoinization, like what is it to you? 
will it happen? When would it happen? And like, what do you see, I guess, for Bitcoin price, you know, you know, in the somewhat medium to long-term future? No, you're asking for a price prediction. Thanks. Um, <laughs> um, we are in the middle of hyper Bitcoinization. It's already started. Um, it's a compounding effect. And so it feels slower uh, on the beginning of that curve than it will in some time in the future when that hyper Bitcoinization accelerates. Um, you know, I think Bitcoin was introduced and now the world is kind of rearranging itself to accept Bitcoin as global money, as that base layer money that can be used across the globe. And um, that comes with a lot of volatility. So, you know, the fiat world it has a lot of volatility built into it. I think people, when they look at Bitcoin and they see its price volatility um, relative to these political currency units that they are measuring it in, um, they think that that's all Bitcoin. I actually don't see it that way. I think Bitcoin is extremely stable. It is growing and there's some volatility involved in just the fact that we need to build so much for it in order to, um, you know, uh, open up that hose so that more capital can flood in. But the world around Bitcoin is extremely volatile. Um, you know, fiat currencies are, are constantly in a state of inflation or disinflation or, or, um, or deflation. Uh, you've got, you know, debt spirals everywhere. Uh, things are crazy out there. And so um, I, I think part of that is the world intuitively realizing that we need to shift away from this fiat financial infrastructure that has caused so many of the problems and so much of the volatility in the world uh, and move back towards sane, sound money. And Bitcoin is the perfect, uh, the perfect thing for that. So, you know, I, I think you can almost think of Bitcoin as already the global base settlement layer. The world just hasn't realized it yet. Every transaction that's out there um, will eventually settle to the Bitcoin blockchain at some point in the future. So, you know, you can just think of it as Bitcoin is already the global base layer. We're just moving in time toward that time when all those transactions eventually settle. Uh, and that hyper Bitcoinization comes as a function of more and more people realizing that that fact already exists. Um, so, you know, when will this happen? <laughs> uh, it's happening now and it will accelerate over the next 10 years. I'll say that. Um, I think uh, I'm all throughout price prediction. Um, I'm thinking like we at least hit a million dollars by 2030. Um, perhaps we're correcting down <laughs> to a million dollars at some point in 2030. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm hugely bullish over the next uh, couple of years, uh, but especially over the next five to 10 years, as all these network effects and all of these tools that we've been building and all this knowledge and way of explaining what Bitcoin is and why it's important begins to compound on itself and really drive adoption in a, in a very deep way. Nice. Yeah. Well, I love it. I mean, I definitely could totally see a million dollar Bitcoin by 2030. I don't think that's too crazy to say. Yeah. Um, and I'd also agree that with the idea that we are living through hyper Bitcoinization. Like I, I made a tweet this morning and I said, wow, I, I wish Bitcoin was back below 20,000 so I could like buy more at a lower price. And then I thought like, you know, just four years ago or at the beginning of 2019, Bitcoin was literally trading at $3,000. And despite 
all the chaos that we've had over the last year in macro and in crypto and in Bitcoin, um, it's like still trading above $20,000. It's like, wow, like that's literally, I guess, I don't know, more than 5x higher from, from 3K, which is pretty mind-blowing when you think it's, about it. It is pretty amazing. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're running out of time uh, to be stacking in this bear market. Um, you know, it's it, the things are heating up out there. Uh, I, I got to give, give uh, credit to my, my brother-in-law <laughs> who kind of inspired that tweet from me yesterday, which is that like, we, we don't have a whole lot more time to stack a meaningful amount of sats in this bear market. Um, things are going to start running away from us. Who knows if that's, you know, actually happening as we speak, uh, or if we still have another few months to go or even a year, but like things will turn at some point and it's going to rip people's faces off. Uh, the bears will be in, in disbelief. Uh, and you know, all, all the hodlers out there with diamond hands and, and all that, right. The laser eyes, um, we're going to get the last laugh for sure. Nice. I like it a lot. <laughs> well, Trey enjoyed this conversation. I think the audience is going to love it. Uh, where do you want to send people after this to connect with you and connect with on Unchain? Yeah. So, um, my personal website is treysellers.com. It's easy to remember, um, at TS underscore hodl, uh, on Twitter. Um, you can find me on Noster as well. Uh, go visit unchain.com, uh, to, to learn about what we do and, and how we can, uh, help you to secure your own Bitcoin. If you are not holding your own Bitcoin, uh, if you, uh, have it on the exchange, you do not actually own Bitcoin. You have an IOU. you got to hope that, uh, that's going to be able to be made good on at some point in the future. Uh, and as we've seen in the past, that may not be the case. Um, so take control of your Bitcoin right now and, and we can help do that. Um, we offer complimentary consultations as well. So, um, you can go to unchain.com, um, click that consultation button and, and you'll be put in touch with either me or somebody on my team. We'll, we'll make sure that you get really comfortable with the concepts, uh, and, and give you that white glove service, um, so that you feel confident moving forward and, and securing Bitcoin in the way that it should be done. Um, so yeah, that's, that's it. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Uh, looking forward to the next time.